Good evening and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio on this live broadcast from Studio 14. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Tuesday, December 26, 2023. Some South Sudanese have resorted to using online platforms to circumvent a government ban on assemblies. We came to realize that South Sudanese have issues that they need to hear and they lack the platform where they can share their ideas, where they can express their opinion. So we created the WhatsApp groups and we developed the regulation that is governing the group. And the group grown bigger. Also on the show, South Sudanese speak out about challenges they have faced in 2023 while expressing hope for 2024. I am grateful I'm leaving it happily. I'm just exiting it while I'm excited to enter new year. So it's really great. So We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Some South Sudanese have established online forums to circumvent a government ban on gatherings across the country. Right after the December 2013 conflict in South Sudan, WhatsApp became one of the applications used by South Sudanese to express their opinions without fear of reprisal. Tong Dengane is a moderator of a WhatsApp group called Sunrise, bringing together more than 500 South Sudanese, both in the diaspora and back home. He tells my colleague, John Tanza, that the purpose of the forum is to provide South Sudanese with an opportunity to discuss among themselves. Sunrise is just a platform of South Sudanese, which we thought about it in 2018, because we came to realize that South Sudanese have issues that they need to share and they lack the platform where they can share their ideas, where they can express their opinion. So we created the WhatsApp groups, just as a small uh, group, and we developed the regulation that is governing the group. And the group grown bigger. It's now grown like it has won 510 people. So, and this group actually brought a lot of professionals, South Sudanese professionals from across the country, out from the diaspora, from people who are living outside South Sudan, but they are South Sudanese. And it actually became a very important platform for South Sudanese professionals. So this year, it was been a very good, actually, we were having a lot of issues that we were discussing. And one of them was the issue of the water, when there was this issue of dredging. That was coming yeah, up. The, the, the dredging of River Nam. Yes, the dredging of the River Nam was one of the great topics that was being discussed intensively because all the South Sudanese across the country were against the dredging. Because if the dredging takes place, it will actually reduce the level of water in the country. And the places that, like uh, not only the Nile, but places that are also benefiting from the water in the Sud region will dry up. For example, talk about the, the rainforest in Western Equatoria in Congo. The rainforest in Western Equatoria and Congo, they get their water from the soot. When there is a vibration, the wind moves the water to the, the cloud to Western Equatoria, and that is 
the rainforest, which is there, and the rainforest come from these places. And if we give this water away, it means that even our forest will disappear. Mm. We will not have resources. Our natural resources will disappear. All the wildlife that we have in South Sudan, they will all disappear. Mm. And this is something that we need to preserve, and we want to make sure that we give pressure to the government to make sure that the dredging does not take place so that our water are not taken away. Apart from the issue of the dredging of River Nam, what were some of the issues that dominated discussions on sunrise? The other issues were also the issue of food security because people also, the country actually had, had been having issues of chronic food insecurity across South Sudan, except there are a few areas like the Green Bell area, that is Western Equatoria, and now this year, Jungle also show a very good sign that they have enough food for themselves. But that alone, the food in Western Equatoria, don't go to other places where there's no food. The food in Rang doesn't go to other places where there's no food. So because of access, there, there is why we talk about food availability and access to food. You might have access to availability in the market, but some would have no money to buy it. You might have food in other places like in Rang, in Western Equatoria, but there are no roads that where the traders can take this food to other places. And these are the issues that have been discussed. So a bigger population of the, uh, the country, they are food insecure in a simple way. They are food insecure and they don't have access to food. And this is an issue that has been discussed intensively. And people were urging actually the government and private sector to create accessibility by opening the road up so that people can be able to do that and support the small agriculture uh, so that people are able to produce more than what they have. So the other issue that was discussed, apart from food security, was um, the health care. Because in South Sudan, we have health professionals, but the problem we have in the country are the lack of facilities. There are no facilities. And you know, when there are no facilities, for people to diagnose the real issues that are affecting the people... They cannot do anything. And but, but there are clinics around town. I've been driving around town. There are clinics. There's Juba Teaching Hospital and other facilities there. Are you talking about lack of equipment or you're talking about lack of manpower? No, actually, what I'm talking about is the lack of equipment. The lack of equipment is a big issue because there are no equipment that can diagnose the real issue. Some of the people that you see that they are going to Egypt, they are going to Kenya, they are going to Uganda, are being transferred by the, our doctors because they are not able to do more investigation. And that's why they have to send them to other places where there is, they can they have the better facilities, they will be able to investigate. But now the question is how many people can go there? That's the big question. Because not everybody that have resources to fly here to Kenya, to Uganda, to Egypt to go and get health care. So you're talking about affordability? People are not empowered economically. So a lot of people have no job. A lot of people have no money. So they cannot be able to, have, to afford health care outside the country. And this is a big issue. So and these are the issues that we are discussing. How best can we strengthen our health care so that our people are treated locally here? That's Tong Dengane, former Minister of Health in Northern Bahagazali State and the moderator of the Sunrise Group. He spoke with John Tanza in Juba.
is still on civil rights, the U.S. has a strong First Amendment foundation, but its limits were tested in 2023. The year saw raids, searches, and subpoenas, often directed at local media, that some advocates have flagged as troublesome. VOA's Arash Arabasadi has the story for Liam Scott. A raid on a small-town Kansas newspaper caught the world's attention in the summer of 2023. Footage captured police seizing equipment and material from the office of the Marion County Record and the home of its elderly co-owner, Joanne Meyer. The Marion City Police Chief was suspended and later resigned. Analysts cite the police action as one of the most egregious press freedom violations in the U.S. in 2023. And, says Gabe Rotman of the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, the case underscores the importance of press freedom. It's just important um, that law enforcement and other government officials across the country, you know, understand the role that the press plays, um, the importance of the press as a, a watchdog, as a check uh, on the government. For the paper staff, fighting back was never in question. There's also a lot of people who are pretty easily intimidated. Uh, and they need to understand that they didn't, shouldn't put up with this stuff and that there are people out there that will support them. The U.S. Press Freedom Tracker keeps watch for such violations from their headquarters in Brooklyn, New York. Press freedom directly affects all of us. We're all citizens uh, and denizens of information. Uh, and that information to be gathered truthfully without fear of punishment affects all of us. McCudden sees other alarming trends, including the use of prior restraints, which act as gag orders. The tracker has documented at least 10 such cases, including in Alabama, Missouri, and North Carolina in 2023. What 2023 has showed us is that journalists and journalism are still under threat in the United States. Rotman cites the case of U.S. reporter Catherine Herridge, who could be held in contempt of court if she doesn't reveal a source for her series of investigative reports in 2017. That case is a um, is a, a stark illustration of the need for a federal shield law. Shield laws protect journalists from being forced to disclose information, including the names of sources. In Nevada, the state's shield law helped the Las Vegas Review-Journal fight a landmark case. In October, the state Supreme Court ruled that devices belonging to Jeff Gurman, a Review-Journal reporter stabbed to death in 2022, are protected from an unchecked police search. It is just as important uh, to you know, ensure that that journalist's work lives on um, by maintaining the confidentiality of their of their sources. With the U.S. heading into a presidential election year, McCudden says the tracker will keep a close watch for threats to the First Amendment. For Liam Scott, Arash Arabasadi, VOA News. Loss and risk come with the job for war correspondents. As the wars in Ukraine and Gaza exact a heavy toll, VOS Christina Kaishido-Smith speaks with two veterans about their experiences and why they keep reporting despite the dangers. The first bomb struck as Fox News reporter Benjamin Hall and his crew returned from a day's reporting on Russian attack in the city of Horenka, outside of Kiev. A few seconds later, the second bomb landed just next to the car. Now that one, there were five of us in the car. Pierre, myself and Sasha in the back seat and two Ukrainians who were, who were driving. And the second one blacked me out. The blast from that 2022 attack knocked Hall unconscious. 
A vision of his family spurred him to get out of the vehicle. My daughter, my little eight-year-old daughter, right in front of my eyes came to me and said, Daddy, Daddy, she said, you've got to get out of the car. Badly injured, Hall pulled himself free. He survived, but cameraman Pierre Sargueski and Oleksandra Kushinova, a Ukrainian reporter assisting the team, lost their lives. With serious burns and injuries, including the loss of a leg, Hall underwent multiple surgeries. The experience, he says, serves to remind journalists and audiences of the risks media take to report the news. Conflicts in 2023 account for most media deaths with three killed on assignment in Ukraine and the Israel-Hamas conflict killing more than 60 journalists to date, most Palestinian. For local journalists, covering the effects of war is a deeply personal experience. And for them, it's not just a conflict. For them, it's their life, it's their family, it's their society, it's their culture, it's their cities. This is not a place these soldiers know. Damon, who covered conflict in Syria and Iraq, says journalists are also at risk of being targeted deliberately. And Iraq was a very, very dangerous place at the time for journalists to work in. There was a price on our heads. It's very different when journalists are being deliberately targeted versus taking on the risk of just being in a war zone. For the Israel-Hamas war, groups like the Committee to Protect Journalists emphasize the need for reporters to work safely. Their audiences, says Sheriff Mansour, are counting on them. But hundreds of millions all over the world who are following this heartbreaking conflict try to understand it and they rely on journalists in order to get timely and independent information and commentary. Hall and Damon agree that a free press is the main way for people to make informed decisions. Hall, who returned to Ukraine in November and met with President Vladimir Zelensky, published a book about his experience. It serves not only to tell his story, but to pay tribute to colleagues and friends lost along the way. And Damon founded the charity Inara, which provides medical and mental health services for children in war zones. With no end in sight to either conflict, media advocates are pushing for all sides to ensure journalist safety. Cristina Quecedo-Smith, VOA News. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, we bring you voices from the South Sudanese capital, Juba, reflecting on 2023 and looking ahead to 2024. Stay tuned. South Sudan in Focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You're listening to South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. Urban food Security is a growing problem as populations swell in cities around the world. In Nairobi, Kenya, urban farming technology is being used to help ease the food shortage problem. Juma Majanga reports for VOA from Nairobi. At the Mamalusi Kibaki Hospital in Nairobi's eastland suburbs, Gregory Kimani is tending crops at City Shamba or City Farm, an organic urban farming initiative. Its goal is to increase food production in urban areas to fight hunger and malnutrition. Kibani says he wants to promote agriculture in urban areas 
and his initiative is providing resources and information centers to help do that. We are sensitizing our urban communities. We are sensitizing our individuals who have households, who have a space as little as a balcony that uh, you can have a small uh, vertical garden and you can produce food. This is going to cushion uh, your family and yourself from the adverse economic effects of uh, buying food. More than half of the world's population lives in cities today, a trend that is projected to continue to 70% by 2050 according to World Bank data. The World Bank says Nairobi's population has increased to more than 4 million people. And the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization says that expansion has fueled development that now takes up most of the space once used for farming. City Shamba is using urban farming technology to maximize the space that is left. The initiative trains residents and partners with schools to give students hands-on experience in agriculture a key subject in Kenya's new competency-based curriculum. We have different technologies whereby we have fish farming, hydroponic, aquaponic, poultry farming, and also we also have black soldier flies. The flies are useful for breaking down organic waste and making animal feed. Charlotte Shangil is a city medic. She has adopted an urban farming method that allows her to grow six different vegetables at the same time. You don't need a lot of space. You don't need a tea extra manure or extra land. So they grow at the same time. You get the harvest and they regrow. It's very, I think it's the best, the best decision I've made this year, basically, in terms of food. As African cities continue to develop, City Shambas Kimani says he hopes to see them remain green. My vision is to see that every building in this uh, great city of Nairobi and other cities in Africa, they are very green, very lush, and through that we are able to uh, fight uh, climate change, make our cities sustainable, and also feed the growing population. City Shamba was one of the places visited by Britain's King Charles III during his November visit to Kenya. Kimani says the sustainability of this model of urban farming lies in the recycling, reusing and reducing materials used, leaving no room for waste. Juma, Ajanga, VOA News, Nairobi. As 2023 draws to a close, Varying perspectives emerge among South Sudanese, reflecting on a year marked by economic challenges. While some describe it as a tough period, others in Juba experience a sense of, express rather, a sense of accomplishment. Venturing onto the streets, Manyang David Mayar captures these diverse sentiments, questioning South Sudanese about their memories and experiences throughout the year. But first, we'll bring you this greeting from one of our listeners. Dear listener, by name Peter Yayabol from Ayamarat residential area. Allow me to take this golden opportunity to extend my greeting to the all of you in all of you over, over the world. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, may the love, peace and unity prevail to the African countries and to uh, not forgetting the presenters like James Bote, Douglas Mpoka, Peter Kolote, uh, Michael Wundi, plus uh, Samsung Umali in Abuja, Nigeria, and to the rest who are presenting for the technical team 
my wishes going to you all of you and thank Merry Christmas and Prosperous New Year. I am Achor Majur and uh, what reminds me of 2023 is uh, my graduation. It was the biggest day of my life. I felt so happy on that day because I survived the the, the notion of uh, the GN culture that uh, the girls' education doesn't matter so much. So if you are lucky to, to study to this level to get a degree, it's really an achievement. Surviving 2023, it was hard. It was a hard year for me because I, I felt depressed when I was in my final year. And I, I just, I used to call my mom and she she'll encourage me and all that. So when I finished, I felt like this was something great. This is a major event and I am grateful I'm leaving it happily. I'm just exiting it while I'm excited to enter new year. So it's really great. So Yes, uh, my name is David Major. Thank God that 2023 was not... Uh, so bad because we are able to to come you know from from there to new year but in terms of in uh, economy challenges uh, of course it's not good to every southern sudanese because you know the life was not easy so people are struggling you'll see that uh, most of family they were they were not able even to get uh, a food for a day and all those things my regret was uh, is that we were respecting, you know, for the good life, we're respecting, you know, for... We all Southern Sudanese know we, after we gain our independence, so the expectation was, was too high that the life will, uh, life will be okay. Completely, I don't want to lie to you, there, there is nothing at all. I never achieve anything, yeah? only that I good health. Uh, my name is Adi Kresha. Remembering in 2023, it was the worst year, the crisis. Okay, most of us are facing dollar crisis which is leading to some families are sleeping without food others are staying without going to school they also increase the school fees which are uh, affect some families uh, what i shipped is uh, i've joined university and i've also got a job so this job can help me and can also help my family so that's the goodness of 2023 uh, my regret is seeing some of my colleagues staying at home because of school fees. They say that there is a dollar crisis, actually. Okay, I'm grateful because I have some, I have very many years without seeing some of my relatives. And I've made it this year because I had some money, so I had to travel. And I also have to let my siblings travel. So they went and some of them went and visited the relatives, which we have not seen for very many years. 2023 is a very difficult year because at that time actually the, everything is going up and even the dollar is rising and then even the school fees is going up. So for us, for me, I I, I actually in my life, I, I think that is uh, very, uh, that year is so very hard for me, but but I think the coming year it will be a good year where this, where the, this country will be stable. So actually my achievement I paid the school fees. Even uh, actually, uh, I complete. Uh, I, I, I did my semester one, semester two. So that is achievement that was happened. So indeed, uh, indeed, actually, uh, there is nothing I do. I did because you know that time everything is very hard for me. But I think I wish the coming year it will be a good year, and then I will be able to do something. 
the real great for us who are working border. We are facing a challenge in security. There are those who are coming at night and actually they come with guns and install a border border, sometimes shooting our colleagues who are working with us in border borders. We actually regret. I thank God because what I did actually i able to pay the school fees and i thank god i was alive i was surviving and but i wish uh, my people to work hard so that uh, 2024 will be the better year uh, for us as well Sudanese. my name is uh, beatrice gofolo from juba uh, what i remember is uh, i have been working i got a, i got a job i'm doing which makes me to feel so happy in this year. Uh, what I achieve is uh, good work, which I've been doing currently. And then uh, also, where I'm working, I got to learn more, more, more things, like uh, meeting uh, different people from different countries. Most especially this season, people are just coming back home. I don't regret so much because uh, I've been working. Those were the voices of some residents in the South Sudanese capital, Juba. And that's all we have for you this Tuesday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song Handkerchief by Nana Ya featuring Samini. Nabil Biajo in Washington on behalf of our producer Gwen Uden and engineer Cornelius Tanner. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Remember to join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.
The situation in Sudan is really dire, said U.S. Department of State's ambassador-at-large for global criminal justice, Beth Van Skok, in a recent briefing. Since April, at least 10,000 people have been killed and over 6.8 million people have been displaced from their homes. Thousands of people have been swept into detention sites in and around Khartoum, where we know that some have been tortured and some have been killed, said Ambassador Van Skok. The war has also been waged on the bodies of women and girls who have been terrorized by deliberate systemic sexual violence inflicted by the RSF and its allied militia forces. They are attacked in their homes. They are kidnapped from the streets. Women and girls have been subjected to conflict-related sexual violence, including rape, gang rape, and sexual slavery. In Darfur in particular, there has been an explosion of ethnic violence against civilians, lamented Ambassador Van Skok. People are not safe in their homes, in mosques, or in schools. We have read numerous credible reports of RSF and affiliated Arab militias seeking out in particular Masalit people and members of other African communities, hunting for men and boys, shooting people desperately fleeing for their lives, stealing everything of value, and burning the rest. Secretary of State Antony Blinken recently determined that members of the Sudanese Armed Forces and the Rapid Support Forces have committed war crimes. He also determined that members of the RSF and their allied militia have committed crimes against humanity and ethnic cleansing in Darfur. In terms of the humanitarian crisis, the United States remains the largest single donor of assistance to the people of Sudan, noted Ambassador Van Skok. We're providing nearly $895 million in total humanitarian assistance in fiscal year 2023 through USAID, through the Department of State's Bureau of Population, Refugees and Migration and other sources. This funding provides emergency food assistance, protection services, health care, nutrition support, shelter, water, sanitation, and hygiene services, and other forms of relief for millions of people in Sudan and for those who have now fled to neighboring countries. Sudan's future belongs to the Sudanese people, declared Ambassador Van Skok. They deserve a future that fulfills their aspirations for freedom, peace, and justice. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 